All right, so as we uh, prepare to dive into Proverbs chapter 2, continuing this study through the book of Proverbs, uh, quick question here, has anyone ever lost an engagement ring or a wedding band? Please raise your hand. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, wow. Okay, a lot of these. There's some stories out here. I wish we could take the time to hear those stories. Um, I think I've heard a couple of them. Uh, so anyway, you might want to track those down later. So how did that go? Were you just kind of like, eh, well, be pretty like lackadaisical about, about it? I mean, I know there's some like replacement rings that are a little cheaper, but like if this was like the the original one, and it's made out of a precious metal, like, I imagine it wasn't ho-hum whatever. Did it matter to you that you find that ring? Anybody? Yes? No? Yes? Okay. Seeing heads. All right. Why? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll leave it at rhetorical, like, for you. So, um, because of what it was worth, right? Because it was, because of what it was worth to you, specifically. So that's Obviously, precious metals are valuable, but also there would be all the sentimental value as well. Okay, so let me illustrate this illustration. Chad, you can put a picture up. So, where's Eugene? There he is. Okay, so that happened last Sunday, if you didn't hear. Eugene popped the question, and she said yes. So... Emily and Eugene, April 2024, something like that. Um, So congratulations, but imagine this special ring that's got all kinds of love that went into its design and making. What if she loses that? Like, what's she going to do? Okay, so keep that illustration in mind, and that was a sneaky way to make that announcement. Um, Actually, I was planning on using this illustration, and then I was like, okay, we can put those together. All right, so we're going to come back to that illustration. Keep it in mind. Um, All right, so we're kind of maybe shin deep, knee deep maybe in our series in the book of Proverbs. Just a few weeks in, um, we know from chapter 1, the the motto, the theme verse 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So a soft-hearted, what's the fear of the Lord? It's a soft-hearted, receptive reverence. He's God, I'm not. He's wise. Without him, I'm foolish, and I'm going to wander off into a ditch. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the threshold over which we step, and it's the path of wisdom. It's where it comes from. It's how it's found. It's where it's found. So also we we learned that wisdom is not just an intellectual category in the Bible. It's skill or competence to live real life according to the way God intended it to be lived. So as such, when you despise God's wisdom, you take matters into your own hands, you go your own way, it's not only wrong, it's foolish. Because again, God made the world. He knows what's best for us. So to go against that, is to go against our best interest. So folly leads to death and wisdom leads to life in this book, okay? When we despise wisdom, 
or ignore it, stick our fingers in our ears and go our own way. We just end up hurting ourselves and others. So we ended last week, the end of Proverbs 1, verses 32 and 33, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me, wisdom personified, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So in light of that ending of chapter one, we want to run from complacency, run from destruction. We want to run with attentiveness to Lady Wisdom, run in God's direction for his wisdom that we might dwell secure and be at ease, like it says in verse 33. So as we enter into chapter two, verses one to four are the opposite of that complacency. It's seeking and searching, okay? So it's this earnest turning to God away from folly, okay? So I want you to just see, like, it's hard sometimes on the page to see, like, the flow of thought in a passage. But I want you to see, see if you can kind of track with this, okay? This is a summary of chapter two. If, we see if, 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 right? Repeated in verses one to four. So if this and this and this and this, then, verse four, Five, you'll know God. And then, verse 9, you'll know every good path. Because God is the source of all wisdom. And because you will internalize that wisdom and be guided by that wisdom from the inside out. Are you tracking with me? And then so, the results, the consequences of all this is you're going to be protected. Okay, so if this, then that, and the two thens are interrupted by, by a four, right? So there's then, four, then, four, so. Everybody with me? I know that was quickly. It'd be easier to like map it all out, but that's not going to fit on the slide, okay? So hopefully you'll track with me. I just want to have a little bit of like a force for the trees, kind of bird's eye view before we dive in so that we don't lose our way, all right? Or let me do it this way. You can, yep, get rid of that slide. So if I were to just put the, this whole chapter into two sentences, it would be this. Seek wisdom, and you will find the God of wisdom because wisdom is his gift to give. First sentence. Second sentence. Seek wisdom, and you will understand every good path for wisdom will become your inner compass and it will protect you from evil men and evil women, keeping you on the good paths that lead to life and security forever. Okay? So that's kind of the force for the trees. Now we're going to dive in. Point number one, seek, verses one to four. Okay? So I, I mentioned it in week one that the atmosphere like the air that you're breathing in the book of Proverbs, is that of covenantal adoption. Okay, so every word, every warning, every promise, every time God puts his arms around us in this book to correct or rebuke or warn or encourage us, it's coming from a loving father to his beloved children. Okay, so it's literally began as a father writing these things down for his son, 
but the way that it's been preserved in God's word for us, it applies to all of us, and it's ultimately God speaking. So we should hear and receive all of this wisdom, all the counsel, in the gracious atmosphere, like, just breathe it in, of covenantal adoption from our loving Heavenly Father. Romans 8, 15, you did not receive, if you're a Christian, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Bad fear, there's good fear, right? Reverence of God, but bad fear, fear of judgment. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We can call God our heavenly Father. So if we recognize our need, By nature, we are foolish sinners, prone to wander. And if we see Jesus came as the wise son to live the life that we have failed to live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and if we open up to Jesus in faith, turning from the folly, repenting, right? Jesus becomes to us the wisdom of God. He becomes the threshold to knowing God in covenantal, for us, not against us, I love you always and forever, father to beloved child relationship, okay? So this book is not just about a father to his son. This is a book about our heavenly father to us, his beloved daughters and sons by grace and by the wonderful covenantal relationship of adoption. So if you're not yet a Christian, you're not part of the family of God yet, you don't earn a place, just to be clear here, because you're going to hear these conditional sentences, if this, then that, okay? And you need to just understand how Proverbs fits into the whole story of the Bible, whole story of the world. Like, if you're not yet a Christian, you don't earn a place in God's family by being wise enough, smart enough, good enough. That would be like little orphan Annie trying to buy her way into Daddy Warbuck's family. We've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God, God's standard. Like, all that we bring to the table is debt and need. We can't make up for it. We can't climb a ladder to heaven. We can't atone for our own sins. We need to recognize our need. We need rescued, not a ladder to heaven. He came down to save us. We need the blood of Jesus to atone for our sins. So VBS this week, kids, if you were here, make your move, that song. Okay, you with me here? I don't want to sing a solo. Like, hey, admit to God that you're a sinner. Come on. I'm looking at you kids. I see some of you back there. B, believe that Jesus is the son of God, right? Why am I still singing a solo? See, confess your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, right? A, B, C's, okay. So if you recognize your need, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, then from the place of beloved sons and daughters, we hear these if-thens with new hearts because we've been born again by the Spirit and we want to know God and follow God. So this is not, if this, then I can get on God's good side. No. Once you're in his family, the if and the then are like, absolutely, because I want to know God. 
Okay, so hear them in that light and hopefully all of us hear them with a soft heart, the fear of the Lord characterizing us that we would have an ear to hear and heed these words of wisdom. All right, so verse one, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Stop there. So if you seek, if you search, this is the opposite of that complacency, right? At the end of verse, I'm sorry, chapter one, that destroys fools. Like, do you see the, the kind of like tone of this section, this is not the lazy river, you know, to wisdom. Everybody know what a lazy river is? You know, just kind of meandering along, floating along, you don't have to do anything. Like, we don't drift into wisdom. Life is not a lazy river into wisdom. It's not automatic that we're gonna become wise. You don't get a full download of wisdom on the day you become a Christian. So look at the progression in verses one to four. First, receiving and then treasuring up. So that it's pretty passive, right? It's being deposited into you and you're welcoming it. But then you start to make your ear attentive. You're inclining your heart to understanding. And then you start going after it, calling out for insight, raising your voice for understanding. And then even more active, seeking and searching like you were seeking for silver or searching for, for hidden treasure. So wisdom is a gift, but it's also hard won in the school of discipleship. Okay, we don't pursue God's wisdom in order to be accepted, but because we've been accepted. We don't pursue it to earn God's favor, but because this great treasure is ours, it's available to us now that we have God's gracious favor. So this is like the deep logic of the Bible. Okay, this is the only place where you have that kind of deep logic. Another example, Philippians 3. Remember where Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see that? He doesn't say, I press on to make it my own so that it'll be my own because otherwise I won't have it. No, Christ Jesus has already made me his own. And I want to lay hold of it fully. I want more of Christ. You see? So it's not that he's got to be really earnest and run the race in order to earn God's favor. He's been given it. And he wants more of God because he's been given the greatest treasure in the universe. And if you were given the greatest access to the greatest treasure in the universe and you just went and you turned away and looked at other stuff and pursued other things, maybe you didn't really see what you have. Like, do you really, do you really know what you have? So may it never be that we would search more urgently or persistently. I hate to be trite here. I'm not intending to be trite. This is like, you know, we all need to look in the mirror 
Like, may it never be that we would search more urgently or persistently for the television remote than for God's wisdom. May it never be that we would search more urgently and diligently for our misplaced smartphone than for God's wisdom. Like, there are word pictures here to help us see the way we ought to relate to God's word and his wisdom. It's treasure. Are we actually treating it that way? Do we see it that way? And are we going after it like that? Now, if one to four marks the conditions, you could say, if, 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 well, then five to 19 actually marks the consequences, okay? So point number two, we'll see the beginning of the, the consequences or the results, okay? So seek, point one, and you will find, point two, look at verse five. So if you search like this, if you seek it like this, then you will understand the fear of the Lord or fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. So that's what we're after. This is not just mastering a list of information. Okay, it's not just obtaining a cache of wise sayings and aphorisms so that you can impress people with one-liners. The goal is not becoming proficient at you know, philosophical, theological speculation. Aim is not proficiency at you know, prognosticating the future. The goal is relational personal knowledge of God. That is what wisdom is all about. Remember, the fear of the Lord, of Yahweh, is the beginning of knowledge. And just a little, I haven't said this for a while, so I'm going to just insert this here. Why do I keep saying Yahweh when it says Lord? Can't you read? Um, well, if you notice in your, uh, I guess I don't have a text up there, but in Proverbs 1.7, as well as here in 2.5, you see four capital, capital letters, right? L-O-R-D. So that is translating this word. We actually don't know exactly how it was pronounced because it's just the consonants, but something like Yahweh, okay, Yahweh. So when Moses went up to the burning bush and, he, you know, there's God meeting with him and he takes off his sandals because he's on holy ground and he's being sent to, you know, bring the people out of Egypt, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? I am who I am. So his name is I am, which, you know, has all kinds of rich meaning. We won't go into that now. But here's the point. Lord is a title, right? Yahweh is a name, and God wants you to know his name because we're talking about personal knowledge here. So just so you know, like, what I'm getting at here and how, like, I, it was out of reverence that the Jews didn't speak the name Yahweh, okay? But that, that causes us to miss out on the meaning here. So in, in, in uh, Psalm 16, 2, it says, I say to Yahweh... You are my Adonai. If you translate them both Lord, it's kind of weird. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Like, okay. But the point is, I say to Yahweh, the covenant God, who came down and made covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then ultimately in Jesus, 
He wants us to know him personally. He is my master. Do you see? Those are two different things. So anyway, end of little bracket there. Okay, so I'm going to be saying Yahweh, and now you know why. Okay, but isn't that sweet that God wants to be on a first-name basis with us both ways? That's amazing. Okay, so if we seek God's wisdom and insight and understanding, then first and foremost, we're going to understand and find him. Wisdom leads you to the source of all wisdom. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So search for it, seek it, and you will find the knowledge of God. Then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Now, let's just notice something here. Do you see that there's both awe and intimacy in this verse, in verse five? It's not either or, it's both and. So he is the God of all creation. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is awesome, and we should reverence and respect him. He is God, we are not. But also, he wants us to intimately know him, right? Like, how cool is that? It's not God is, you know, this aloof monarch, and he doesn't like to get his hands dirty. He's also not just one of us, which would limit him, obviously, in his ability to help if he's just a a little bit bigger one of us. No, he is the sovereign king of the universe. We should fear the Lord, respect him, reverence him, and he wants us to be intimately, relationally involved with him. Isaiah 57, 15 strikes it as well. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. That's almost like another way of saying the fear of the Lord, fear of Yahweh, right? Contrite, lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. So, I mean, this should be like reason enough to follow all those ifs, right? If the result of seeking after wisdom is we get to know God, we get closer relationship with God, then that is enough. Oh, that the Lord would awaken in us hunger and earnestness and passion and zeal to seek him. Like, I really think that's one of the, isn't that the clear burden of this passage? So, Let that land on your heart, my heart. Like, am I just kind of casually relating to God and his word and, you know, you know, or do I really want to know God? Like, Lord, I want to know you. I want to want to know you. Like, please just rein my, like, wandering fugitive attention and, like, bind my wandering heart to you. Like, we need to make war with apathy and indifference and listlessness and, you know, that prefers the ease of mindless scrolling over the life-giving labor of mining for spiritual gold in God's word, right? So, if, then. Does this mean that knowing God is conditional? Like, wait, is that like works righteousness? No, we can't earn or deserve it but we must receive it. We must lay hold of it, okay? So let's say that you get a certified letter tomorrow saying that your Uncle Rocky's inheritance is yours. I'm sure you all have an Uncle Rocky. 
Um, you just have to show up at thus and such a time to sign the paperwork and pick up the check. Is that going to feel legalistic? Like, oh, why do I have to go down to that law office in Wilmington? Like, parking is going to be a hassle. No, you'd be like, crazy. Or, or the guy in Matthew 13, 44, kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Man, when he found it, he went and sold all, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy that field. Because he saw how great that treasure was. His estate isn't nothing in comparison to that treasure. Didn't feel legalistic to go sell everything to buy that field. So the text doesn't say, you know, if you seek me hard enough, then you'll earn my favor. It says, if you seek me, you'll find me. So, I mean, there's a sense here in which we can't know God without committing, without going all in, like knowing how to ride a bike. You remember this? Or maybe for some of us it's more recent. Like, you can't just read about bikes and just all of a sudden ride a bike. You've got to get on the bike and go all in to learn how to ride the bike. You have to commit to learning to ride if you're going to learn to ride. So seek and you will find. All right, why is that true? Point three, because Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He's the source of it all. So of course, if he says, seek and you will find, you'll find me. Why are we going to, why is that true? Why why is that going to happen? Because he's the one who gives it all. For Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So perhaps this is pointing out the obvious, but sometimes things are hidden in plain sight. You know, wisdom is outside of you. The world encourages us to look in and find the truth. The Bible encourages us to look up and out and seek and find God's truth. Like, we need it. God has it. It's got to be given to us, and only God can give it to us, so we look to him. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. As Derek Kidner said so succinctly, what you find then, verse 5, is what he gives, verse 6. Discovery and revelation are inseparable. Everybody tracking? Is it me or is it a little warm in here? It's a little warm in here. Okay. Well, all right. I hope that you can stay awake. Um, I'm going to take that off so that I can stay awake. All right. Um, So what we find is what he gives. Okay? But we do need to seek. Wisdom must be obtained by us. So, parallel passage, Proverbs 4, 5 to 8, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it. (laughs) Like, go after it, gotta obtain it. Get wisdom, whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you, she will honor you if you embrace her. So there is tension here, right? But it's not contradiction. It's the tension of wisdom in accord with reality in God's world. Wisdom is both gift, 
God gives it, and it is hard won. It's given by revelation, and it's given by discipleship. In fact, it's given through discipleship. It's more Bible logic, more the way God reasons with us here. Similar logic in, in 2 Timothy 2.7. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Just stop and think about the logic there. He doesn't say, think over what I say, and you'll understand. As if you don't need God. He also doesn't say, no need to think, just pray, and the Lord will give you understanding. Everybody tracking? It's given through thinking but it's still ultimately given. So, I mean, this really shouldn't surprise us if we stop and think about it. In the Christian life, where does emotional resilience and buoyancy come from? Not just facts in the head, but trials and trusting and waiting and finding the Lord strengthen you and getting weak and then getting strong with his strength. And it gets fleshed out in the real, like, refinery of life and trials. Where does spiritual endurance come from? The same thing. It's ultimately given, but it comes through training and trials and receiving and obtaining the grace and strength of God through it all. So again, it's given to those who seek it and heed it, Um, but it is given. (laughs) It's both and. So look at verses seven and eight. The Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints, his loyal covenant sons and daughters. Okay? So Derek Kidner again here, he writes, wisdom is for anyone who wants it. Fools and simpletons are invited by name to its feast, which is as free as the feast that folly invites people to. At the same time, it is as costly as character. It's largesse, it's bounty, is not scattered, but stored up for the upright, for men and women of integrity, for saints. You see that there in verse 7. Okay? So, if we seek, we will find, because God gives wisdom, knowledge. He's the source of it all. And that comes from a whole life embrace. Like it's not just more facts only. It's a whole life continually yielded to and seeking to align itself with God's truth and wisdom. So point number four, a second result of seeking. Seek and you will understand. First, it was seek and you will find God. You'll know wisdom. Secondly, here in verse 9, seek and you will understand. So again, flow of thought. If you seek wisdom, you're going to find it. You're going to find the God of wisdom because he gives it to those who honestly seek him. Then you'll understand how to live. Look at verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. So do you see how verse 9 is parallel with verse 5? Know God, know the path of wisdom. To know God leads to knowing how to live. Okay? It's kind of in harmony with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He's the Lord. He's God. He's wise. He knows what you need. And he will make straight your paths. 
So life is full of challenges, confusion, uncertainty, trials. Listen, we don't need a formula. We don't need a technique. We need wisdom and we need a wonderful counselor. Okay, so C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man, he wrote this, wise men of old, for, for the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had, had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For modern people, the problem is how to subdue reality to our wishes. The solution is a technique. So how often, you know, I need to know God's will. I need to discern God's will. I have this choice to make. Is it this or this? And oftentimes we want the quick fix. We want the easy answer. We want the writing on the wall. We want a shortcut. And God offers us himself. And he offers us another class in the school of wisdom. It comes through the slow, steady work of acquiring wisdom, having our character shaped to live in line with that wisdom the way God intended for us to live. So there are so many challenges, so many decisions, so many issues of life where we don't have chapter and verse to make it simple for us. Like, how do you know how much to say yes to and when to say no? Is that easy? Like, where's the chapter and verse? Where's the line between saving your life, like Jesus said, don't try to save your life, and preserving your focus because you can't do everything and not every need is a calling? Where's the line between preserving your focus and trying to save your life? What does the virtuous use of technology look like for you, for me? How much TV or entertainment is healthy? How much money should you spend on vacation? How do I help my kids navigate the perils of the internet and tech usage? Again, there's lots of principles, lots of things in God's word that come to bear on this, but we need wisdom to apply those principles to daily real life. I could go on and on, right? So if you note the results of this seeking, it's a person, verse 5, and a character that can tell a good path from a bad one, verse 9. What's offered is knowing God and his will and his ways. Not a formula, not a technique, not a shortcut. So if you seek wisdom, then you will find it. You will find the God of wisdom because he gives wisdom. It's his to give. He's the source of it all to those who honestly seek it. Then you will understand how to live because wisdom will sink down. Here's the flow of thought now to the next point, the last point, because wisdom will sink down in and enlighten you from the inside out and you will be protected. So point number five, internalization will happen and protection as a result. All right, so look at verse 10. So you will know every right path because wisdom has come into your heart. If you look at the passage, you could also see how, in a sense, the, the, the trajectory is outside to inside. If you receive my wisdom, you know, treasure it up, now it's getting inside of you here in verse 10. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So the progression is seek, find, enjoy. Like it's sweet to you. 
So internalization, not just written on pages with ink out there, but written on the heart by the Spirit. Remember that key verse last week, 123, if you turn at my reproof, wisdom speaking, I will pour out my Spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. And then, big picture, you will be delivered from one, evil men, verses 12 to 15, and evil women, verses 16 to 19. So we're actually not going to take the time to unpack verses 12 to 19 this morning because we're going to meet these evil men and evil women again in other passages in chapters 1 to 9. So we'll leave it for those weeks, okay? But for now, it's enough to know that wisdom protects us from temptation and every evil path. So Champ Thornton has been here, preached a couple times. Um, He works for Crossway now. He used to be on staff at Ogletown and just wonderful brother. And he's written some books for kids. Go look them up. They're really excellent. One of them is called Pass It On. It's a Proverbs journal. So you could read the book of Proverbs. Might be something that you'd want to do during this series. Get a copy of this thing. And if you have kids or if you have a nephew or a niece or somebody that you've sought to mentor or care for, you could read through the book of Proverbs and record some of your own wisdom learned from God's word and then give that as a gift to the child. In the, the introduction, he, he writes this, among other things. In the first three, three steps outlined in Proverbs 2, 1 to 8, wisdom mainly exists outside the learner or child in the wisdom of teachers, parents, or even God himself. But a child reaches the height of wisdom when the skill learned from others actually becomes her own. Sometimes we talk about making your faith your own. This is kind of a way to talk about that. A wise person is not one who has merely mastered wisdom, but who has been mastered by it. And then he writes this. I love this paragraph here. Wisdom, then, is not just gaining familiarity with a list of proverbs, but internalizing a versatile approach to life. Situations will arise in life that proverbs never addresses. In these cases, the book of Proverbs serves as a starter kit teaching a worldview that can adapt skillfully to new and unfamiliar challenges. You begin learning Proverbs like reading a map, exploring each square foot of its 915 verses. Yet, as you internalize its wisdom, the map becomes a compass, enabling you to navigate any terrain you encounter. So, you've, you've kind of lived this. You probably know what I'm talking about here. Like... Um, we moved here 14 years ago or something like that, and I don't know when the first time I walked through the Brainerd Wine Creek State Park was, but when I first started hunting there, I was like lost and, you know, walking all over the place trying to find tree stands and whatever. Now, because I've continued to hunt each year and because I like to take prayer walks over there, I know parts of that woods like the back of my hand and I could get back to the car in the dark. Or Hershey Park. Somebody, some generous, kind soul actually made it possible for our family to go there recently. And there are people, I was not one of them, you know, probably like the ones that have the annual passes, who, like, so we're looking at the map and then, like, doing this and, you know, like, constantly trying to figure out where we are and how do we get to that ride. But there are people who've been there enough where they've internalized that map and they're just like, boom, it's over there, right? So 
When wisdom comes into us and becomes a part of us, then we will increasingly not need kind of external prompts and external chastening to get us to walk the wise path in a particular situation. We won't need goaded and pressured from outside to walk the wise path. I mean, this is part of growing up, right? We will want to walk it. We'll be trained in wisdom to choose the good path. It's like the spiritual equivalent to a well-developed executive function. If you don't know what I'm talking about, write it down, look that up later, and you, you can understand what I mean. But the point is, is there's this inner compass. The Lord wants that, wants to get his wisdom down into us so that we can sniff out a false path from a couple hundred yards away. So wisdom is both a gracious gift and a hard-won prize. It's not internalized by superficial interest and dabbling, but by desire and discipleship, by zealous seeking and wholehearted heeding and internalizing. And by doing so, we will be delivered and protected from the way of evil. Verse 11, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. And then verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous because God's wisdom has become our inner compass, always pointing to true north. So don't you want to be able to navigate this crazy, dark, confusing, threatening world more wisely? Like we don't want to be ignorant. There's all kinds of dangers. We didn't dive into it much, but there's lots of temptations, lots of ditches, lots of things to be protected from. It is not bliss to be ignorant. So in this world, we will have trouble. There are many dangers, toils, and snares. But if we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the embodiment of all the wisdom of God, fixing our gaze on the one who is our wisdom and our wonderful counselor, then all the fool's gold and the false paths are going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So, back to losing your engagement ring. I remember reading a devotional years ago, like 20 years ago maybe, or more, entitled, Prayerfully Ransack Your Bible. And it said that our approach to the Bible should be like a miser in the gold rush or a fiance who's lost her engagement ring. She ransacks the house like pillows thrown everywhere, couches like I've never forgotten that. I hope that maybe you won't forget that. Like let's make war brothers and sisters with complacency and indifference. No coasting. No aimless spiritual wandering. Like if, if you see that the point is not a technique, there's no formula here. Some of the wisdom that you seek tomorrow morning is not gonna be maybe needed in one sense until six and a half years from now. But all of it is forming who you are internally and it's gonna help you and protect you. And you're gonna know God and he's gonna be with you through whatever dangers, toils, and snares are, lay ahead. So complacency just opens up the, the doors to the dangers described in verses 12 to 19. So let's seek, brothers and sisters, if we seek, 
we will find the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. We will find the good path, navigating the world's troubles, toils, snares, and we're going to make it safely home, having helped many others to find it home as well. All right, with that, we're going to transition to the table. Let me pray, and then we're going to participate in the Lord's table together. Lord, I pray that you would please help us see what supposed treasure and gain oftentimes competes with our attention and our zeal, drawing our our eyes away from you. Lord, I pray that you would be our treasure, that we would see the surpassing value of knowing Jesus as our Lord and in the light of his glory and grace, show us the fool's gold for what it is. Show us the false paths for what they are. Show us the danger of apathy and indifference and coasting. And Lord, do whatever work in our hearts. Help us to be honest with you and with ourselves and repent and run to Jesus as we, as we need. That we would know you, that we would follow you. That we would walk the good path and help others do the same. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we prepare for the table, this is a family meal, right? So how do you enter into the family of God? It's not just by being born into a family where people are Christians. It comes from turning from your sins, trusting in Jesus. So if you are a Christian, if you've gone public with that faith through baptism, you are welcome at this table. And let's, brothers and sisters, examine our hearts like Does God have our zeal and our passion? Are we hungry to know him and seek him? Or have we gotten lukewarm? Have we gotten just cooled off and cold and indifferent? And we need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to ask for grace to awaken our hearts and just turn away from that lukewarmness and go hard after Jesus. Like, this is a table of grace, where we feed on Christ. He died for that apathy. <laughs> he certainly can give us grace to deal with it. If you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here with us, and I would just encourage you, while the elements are being passed, just let those pass by. No shame in that. But I would encourage you not to let this moment pass. Instead, ponder like the things that you've heard and your need for Jesus. And if you have questions or want to talk to somebody about that, I'd certainly be happy to, um, or maybe the person that invited you. So the guys that are going to serve can come forward. Um, We're going to wait till everyone is served, and then we'll participate together.